0: If you've ever been working on a project and you felt like there was this missing piece because you maybe didn't know how to make a web application or you didn't know how to make a website that looks good, but you know kind of the rest of it, there's this new movement called no code or there's this set of no code tools that can help fill in those gaps if you're a solo entrepreneur or an early founder, and that can make it easy to do those things in a way that gets a minimum viable product built and kind of get you out the door. So like, I can't tell you how many hardware projects I've seen that have like a GitHub repository, and then just this like terrible Weebly website, or just some old website, because the person who's a really good engineer hardware doesn't know how to make a good looking website. And so now there's all these new tools that do that. And I've personally been struggling with this as I've been wanting to build a CRM and not knowing how to build a web app, but knowing all of the things that I want the CRM to do. And I went out and I found a woman named Lola Ojabawale on the Microconf community, uh, and we're bringing her here today because Lola has been working with me, and I think her experience working with no code tools is going to be really informative. So if you've got a project idea or an, an, like it, maybe even a new product for your existing business, no code might be the way that you can take it a little bit further, generate some revenue, and then maybe hire you know a more, of a, more of a full developer to build out the, your dream solution. Welcome to the practical
1: podcast for technical people who want to start their own company from founding to building your business. We're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel and I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink show.
0: Lola, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us.
2: Yes, thank you for having me on the show. Super excited to chat today.
0: Lola, can you just tell us really quick who are you and what is no code?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, a little bit of background um, for my of myself. Um, I run a digital product studio called Lunchpail Labs. What we do is um, we build some products internally and work with. Clients And on the development side, we um, build a lot with the, the help of no and low code development tools. Basically, like what no code is, is it's a way to build um, web apps, web apps, mobile apps, software, oftentimes visually and through like configuration instead of having to use any particular programming language to build. So um, I'm personally really excited for the movement. Um, I I got started in, in no code because I wanted to make an app and I wasn't a, a very advanced developer to, to do all of the iOS things. And so I think it's going to empower a lot more folks to yeah, build software. So it's really, really cool.
0: Okay. And now you would say no code and low code tools, and you're saying you're building it through configurations. What, what are some examples of tools that people are using and then like the types of problems they're solving. So like, what are a few use cases, I guess, for for something like this versus going to Upwork and maybe hiring a developer or going and finding like a, a development group to, to build like a full out version of these types of things. What are the use cases?
2: Yeah, uh, definitely. So we absolutely see folks who are small business owners and they may want to like, Productize some part of their business. Um, Like I have like worked with someone who like had a planner business and it was like a physical planner business and they just wanted to digitize that planner. Um, So things like that, you we also see it with like really, really early stage startup founders. And so if you want to start testing your idea, uh, that might be ultimately a more scalable venture, you can spin up something that's Really high fidelity and working, and you might even be able to charge folks for with these tools. And another big category, um, I think, of No Code is kind of like this internal business productivity. So, especially with tools like Zapier um, and Integromat, you can automate things that you do repetitively in your business um, without having to code uh, and and save yourself from having to do like actions like over and over again.
0: And would you count like Webflow and some of these other sort of visual website builders, would you also count that as like in the no code world in your opinion?
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. We'll like would put Webflow in there. I feel like sites like Squarespace and Weebly and Wix are not oftentimes centered in the no code conversation, but they're absolutely no code tools. And I feel like, yeah, they were like really early to the movement. So with those tools, you don't have to know any particular code to put um, things out. I think even WordPress, like with Elementor, you can put that into that category of no code. But what's really exciting about the movement now is that what you're able to do with these tools has really accelerated in the past couple of years. So before maybe setting up a blog, Um, there was a time when that was actually like a a code endeavor. Nowadays, people realize, oh yeah, you can have a blog and you don't have to know how to code. Um, But now we're getting to the point where you can have a mobile app, you can have a web app, um, you can have, I guess, software robots doing um, ongoing tasks for your business and you don't have to know how to code.
1: So that's really interesting. And you mentioned that it's not just sites but also it's like you can do um apps for your phone right like it's it's still existing kind of in that browser layer is that what's going on so then it's cross-platform
2: yeah so there's some um that you can actually build native mobile apps so like um with tools like Adalo, um, you can use that tool, uh, build visually, and then you can um, publish to the Android and iOS stores with the tools, which is...
1: Cool. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, pretty That's exciting.
1: really cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think mo- many of our listeners are on the hardware side of things. Um, so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about that integration and what that might look like. Cause you know, as, as somebody who does um, engineering and programming, I stick mostly with hardware. And so a lot of times this, um, the web side of things, the app side, I, I know nothing about. So having these tools or having somebody like you help with these services to create these um, would be very interesting. And I see it from like an IOT perspective, right? Like, let me say I've got a sensor that tells me if my stove is on and I want to use either like a REST API or MQTT or something. And then it just notifies my phone or notifies me on a site that I can go and look and, you know, expand this beyond just like me and my stove. It could be like, oh, I want to watch a whole factory and I've got these IOT sensors and, you know, it's, you know, monitoring million dollar equipment. Um, Is that possible? Do you see those kinds of hooks, those API that are available for people to integrate hardware and then not have to worry about the, the interface side?
2: Yeah, oh, and that's such a, such a great question. I feel like in the, uh, I haven't seen a ton of examples with those like integrations with hardware, but yeah, I think it's something that's absolutely possible, especially if that um, data coming from hardware can be sent like through an API. So, you know, your bubbles, your web flows, your draft bit builders, um, they have ways to connect APIs to those tools And so like, yeah, so, so long as it can, um, that it's like in a, like a rest API format, um, you can plug any data that you, you kind of want in there and some ways that I've used, um, yeah, you can yeah, plug any data that you kind of want in there.
1: Oh, that's really cool. Okay. So it's not just like I can just send data from hardware immediately to this, but it, it sounds like I could also do something like, oh, send my data to like an AWS or um, I'm trying to think of some of these other IoT services. So like, you know, I, I played with like particles, Adafruit. So a lot of these are like for the hobbyist market, but the same idea, right? I send data to some type of server, it resists or excuse me, it resides on that server. And, and they give me some like super basic plugins with like charts and graphs and things. And it's like, okay, if I want to go beyond that and offer some, some type of custom solution to myself or to a customer, that's when I should look at, you know, sending that data that's on the server somewhere to one of these no code solutions that gives me this interface. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. Like in Bubble in particular, they have this like API connector and it's really, really flexible. So like whatever data you want to grab um, or, or call from from that, so long as you have, you have the API, you can make that happen. A lot of these tools also have um, out of the box um Kind of integrations, and so I believe AWS might even be one that's on Bubble, and um, especially with things to like your integramats, your Zapiers. If it's just about moving data from one place to another, um, those can be configured as well um, to to pull pull data from where you have it and move it to another place.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so I want to yeah. get into more that the the personal side, if that's all right. So I- what? what inspired you to, you, you mentioned that you, you kind of started it at the beginning of this year and it was a little bit of like a holdover, like, Oh, I kind of have my own business. Um, so what, what inspired you to start Lunchpail labs and then like really go forward with like, you've got some clients on the books, which is excellent. Like what inspired you to like, you know what? I'm going full force with this now.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, that's, su- that's such a great question. Uh, I think, um, when I, so, Kind of backstory, so my like professional background is in strategy and operations. When I graduated college, I um, worked at an e-commerce company, Um, but like during my time there, I increasingly started kind of getting involved in tech, would go to hackathons, took a bunch of um, kind of like design and very, very elementary like coding classes. Um, But what really kind of sparked my interest at first in no code was trying to build an app. So for a while, I was running a uh, meal planning startup. And I remember like I was in this iOS development course for it, um, going through the classes. And then I ended up going to an indie hackers meetup where I met someone who was like all about this no code thing. And he was like, hey, like you can be in this class for six months or you can try some of these new no code tools and probably spin something up in a couple weeks. Um, so that was like my first introduction. And in terms of like no uh, lunch pail labs and starting to work with other people, um, it actually just really started um, being kind of in Atlantis startup community. It wasn't my original plan when I left my job to go full time on my business. I was really focused on running this meal planning company. But just kept on meeting other founders, other small business owners, um, who, yeah, just kind of wanted uh, to to explore these tools, wanted to launch something quickly, and so it was through those requests that it even really started earlier this year.
1: So, so are, were those your first clients, like the people you met at these at these uh, community uh, meetups?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my very first clients were um, yeah people who were actually like in some of the so when I left my job earlier this year, I actually per- participated in an incubator um, for the, the meal planning app that I was working on. And yeah, my very first customers were also people who were like in that program, um, who wanted kind of options to, to, to build um, pretty quickly, mostly with like sites and things. But um, yeah, those were first, first were in, in the community.
0: And so you said when you left your job, earlier this year. So we're in the year 2020. year of our Lord. This has been uh-huh. quite a year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why don't you just talk us through starting a business in this year? What was that like?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's so wild. And I think I was also like a couple weeks before like, cor- like Coronavirus was like, really like, uh, like, Oh, man, this is a big thing. So definitely the serendipity of, of timing, because I probably wouldn't have had the the cur. I don't know if I would have had the courage to like go out on my own if I knew like oh this is coronavirus. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's definitely um, been interesting. It's hard for me to compare because yeah, prior to um, Corona, I wasn't even like a revenue generating business. So like I don't know like oh what would the universe be like if I wasn't in Corona? Um, but I think the cool. But I think what I've seen is there's still a really strong. I think people are are really, really in this time looking at ways to figure out how to operate digitally. Um, so uh, a really strong like market there. And I think the, the cool thing about the work that I, I think the positive thing um, is just with like being remote and all of these conferences and things that I probably wouldn't have decided to go to because they would be like in person and like in other states. Um, I've had access to in in meeting people and networking that way. But definitely, definitely scary. I think it was like three weeks, like middle of March. I was like, oh, that's so funny. Like end of February, I decided that I was going to go full time on my business. And yes, (laughs) that's hilarious. So definitely, definitely some scary moments. But um, yeah, I think uh, it's been, I've been fortunate so far.
1: Do you think that um yeah, do you think it was a, a, a like a bit of a silver lining for you you know that nobody wants a pandemic right that is not a fun thing for anybody um, do you think it was a bit of a silver lining that like hey you're you can work remotely on these things you can you know you can construct these things without being face to face with clients um do you think that has helped your business or do you think it would have um you think you would have been able to work with these clients to make um make solutions for them regardless of the pandemic? Yeah. That makes sense.
2: That's a really great question too. I think um I think being remote and being forced to be remote has actually um I would say it's it's probably helped my business. I think um when I in the two weeks when I was okay, I'm a full time entrepreneur and like everything is locked down, um I felt like I was going to a lot of like uh, in person events in Atlanta. Um that I think now that oh that we have this I mean, there's so many lively digital communities. I think it's just like a more efficient way of like meeting people and networking. Um, so in that regard, now, even when the world opens up, I, I don't think I'll feel like, oh, I just need to go to all the Atlanta events and talk to people. I can just like be at home and talk to people. <laughs> um, so I think that has been definitely like a, a positive and like a time saver.
1: Yeah. And so, so you also mentioned that, like, right, you, you said something interesting. You're like, oh, I'm a full-time entrepreneur. <laughs> Have you had the moment yet where it's like, oh crap, why did I do this?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think I, I definitely, I definitely go in cycles, um, at, like absolutely with that. Like absolutely my first couple of um, <laughs> weeks uh, or even first couple of months felt a lot of that. I think even when I was telling people That yeah okay like I'm gonna leave my job and I'm gonna (laughs) be a full time entrepreneur. I think a lot of a lot of folks were like, what? Like, did you say you're doing a meal planning app? What? Like, why? Like, well, I think I think I I I definitely got the vibe from like folks in like my like immediate circle that like oh like Lola must be going through something and she just wants to to like (laughs) do like her own thing. So she she must be having and I think. Even like when I left my employer, I'm sure they were like, "That's so weird. <laughs> um, why are you doing this? Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely have that uh, had that like moment of or and even still, like now that I'm even like busy and kind of, um, yeah, like have sort of grown the revenues of the business, still have that like, the fear doesn't go away like, yeah, maybe this month is fine. But what about next month? Or like, I don't know what happens in the future. What if something crazy happens? What if another like wild event happens? Who knows? So I think there's definitely no, no end of, of worries, but yeah, I just try to keep, keep moving and, and keep, keep going.
0: So there are two sides of that equation, right? So you obviously are, you're running this business and you are, providing services but you also have clients right so let's say that like i'm uh i mean i'm in this position right like i, I came to you saying hey lola i would love your help with bubble i've been working on a bubble app uh, which is how i'm building intro crm and i've gotten it to a point but there's just like these walls that i'm running up against where i just don't understand how this stuff works um like if someone were to come to you and say hey i want lola i want Labs' help with," a no code app, like what makes for a good client? Like who is in a position and not necessarily personality wise, although maybe personality wise, but you know, what type of use case or situation do you think like, Oh yeah, no code is the right tool. I can really help here. Or like, what's a good way for someone to approach someone like you with the, with an ask that, you know, because I feel like sometimes you probably get like some percentage of people who are just like, I want an app and it's like, Oh, (laughs) Oh, like, what's it going to do? Like, why do you want it? And they're like, well, you know, everybody's making apps and like, I want an app, you know? So I'm sure there's like these like terrible clients, but like, what's like a good one. How does that, how do you think about that? And do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, and that's a really, really great question. And I think something too, like, even in yeah, this year, like I've absolutely like iterated on. Um, But what I've found is that, One, like, people who do have that kind of deep understanding of the business problem that they're trying to solve and, like, the market that they're trying to enter and, like, what their, who their product that they're trying to build is serving has, has been, like, a a pretty big, big, uh, piece that I found. Like, even if someone wants to pay you, like, all the money to build an app just because they think it's fun, um, I think, like, as, like, a product partner, it can be pretty frustrating if, like, they just don't have a great understanding of, like, well, who's going to use it or why or, <laughs> like, what, what why should we do this thing? <laughs> it can be very, like, um, uh, flippant. And also, like, I um, love to partner, yeah, on products that I think will be successful. And so... Um, trying to look at, you know, those clients who, um, so that's kind of like one side clients who actually have like ideas for products that are, um, yeah, like, you know, they have a a really good understanding of the business problem and what they need it for, like, and who needs it. Um, and then I've also found that, uh, generally like now I mostly work with people who have existing businesses. Um, so, uh, we absolutely get requests from, like, very, very early, like, ah, like, you know, I was, like, hanging out and I saw that I think I want to do, like, a virtual app for movie makers because I think that would be fun. Um, but if they don't have, like, an existing business, like, even if I provide, like, you know, the the best product no-code app, they may not have, like, the resources to execute on the other parts that would make it successful like, you know, finding customers or, you know, marketing or like thinking of wh- like the messaging and things like that. So, um, those are, those are like the two main things um, that I, I look for and evaluate when kind of, you know, thinking whether like what I'm doing is going to be a, a good match for folks. Um, but yeah, I think for, for, yeah, people who are kind of on the earlier, earlier, early to one business and early to um, like, even really thinking about their idea. Um, there are so many like free free tools that they can tinker with without bringing in an like, expert to try to help them out.
1: Hey, Harris, I'd like to take this moment to pause and let's talk about our sponsor, Cyber City Circuits. Who
0: are they? Cyber City Circuits is a contract manufacturer and electronics distributor. Uh, they're based in Augusta, Georgia. And they're fans of the show and They've been supporting us to help really get in front of technical people who are starting their own companies. That's what they've done themselves. Uh, David and Chris spoke to us all about it and how they're growing their business in episode 20.
1: And one of the things they're focusing on now is contract manufacturing. They're looking to expand their business, and I don't know if you've ever had to use a contract manufacturing, but sometimes it can be uh, really rough to get small quantities through. So if you're doing something like for badge life where you need five, 10, 20, 30 boards produced, and you don't wanna do them all yourself, this is the perfect opportunity to reach out to David and Chris and get them to help you produce your boards. Check them out at CyberCityCircuits.com and just say, hey, we learned about you from Hello Blink Show. You'll get 25% off your assembly costs of manufacturing. You can also use Hello Blink Show as a coupon code to get 10% off of your
0: order for their electronics distribution and kit sales. Let's get back to the show. So part of that process for you, evaluating a good client is evaluating, and you, but you also are involved with IndieVC. So you sort of have uh-huh. like a couple realms in which you sort of have this evaluation hat. Tell us about N D V C. What's the deal there? How do they differ than traditional venture capital? What like what does it mean to be an N D V C scout? That sounds like yeah. a very cool thing, but like what is that as a scout? Tell us about that and, and how you think about businesses.
2: Yeah, oh definitely that's a that's a great question. So yeah, NDVC is kind of like a program that's an alternative to venture capital and they're they're really trying to, to empower like an an indie economy where um, I think there's just like the problem that they're solving is there's often a gap between like, Oh, like, okay, I'm going to be completely a hundred percent bootstrapped with my company to like, Oh, I'm going to be a, a billion dollar unicorn, the next Facebook Uber times 10. Um, and a lot of venture capital is set up to, really try to find the people who are looking or are, are trying to be those billion dollar outcomes. in um, NDVC, um, while they're not like, you know, just looking for like small businesses um, are, are for those companies that are kind of along the spectrum and in between, but could still benefit from some growth capital, some risk capital to, to change, to um, expand their business. So kind of like the folks that, really are like um, good candidates for their their model or businesses that are already profitable. Um, it's not so much a question of like, are they going to grow um, or are they profitable? Like they're usually like post revenue, um, but this capital is something that's going to help them get to their goals faster. Um, so a, a little bit um, different there. And then in terms of, um, kind of scouting. And th- and I think they're, they're interesting too in that um, they do like, you know, application windows instead of like some of the ways that um, VC firms work. And um, they also just have like really in the structure of their agreements, um, kind of like a different model where again, like they can get their return from several companies, maybe like being like a hundred or a couple hundred million as opposed to, Um, only like banking on one company being a 10 billion exit and everybody else failing.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've heard, you know, we connected through microconf. I've heard uh, Rob Walling and the tiny seed folks talk about the like power law, right? So like in VC, the idea is, you know, they've said like the economics of venture capital, the only way they work is if like so like using like baseball as an analogy, or whatever. Like you have to get a grand slam in order to get these funds to pay for itself, right? Where they say like eighty percent of the returns come from twenty percent or even less of a company, uh, like a Pareto principle kind of thing. But it, it sounds like Indie VCs experience and tiny seeds experience has been like that's not necessarily the case, and that they've had like pretty because because their job, right? Like their fiduciary responsibility is they go out and they raise money from you know, family offices, uh, pension funds, insurance companies, individual investors, whatever. And then they basically make a promise and say, okay, I'm going to take your money. I'm going to go invest it in companies. And then I'm going to come back later and give you more money. Right. And so they have this like responsibility to do that. And it seems that the conventional VC approach says that the only way to get enough money back is to just do these, like you said, unicorns or like decacorns or these crazy deals. And your experience working in VC, and I think from what I heard from others in Tiny Seed, is that that's not necessarily the case, but it sounds like you have to be pretty disciplined. It sounds like there's like a set of pretty hard requirements about being post-revenue, being profitable, and having a sense of where you're going, whereas it seems like in the traditional venture world, you can take some more guesses based on gut and instinct, whereas in this one, it sounds like you the business really has to be a business and performing in order to meet those criteria. Is that fair?
2: I mean, it's like the typical case, but like uh, I mean, there are absolutely like investments that are like you know exceptions to the rule, like anything. And so um, more like guidelines. And I think the the other really cool thing about NDVC is that they just like publish so much information of like their investment methodology, what they're looking for. So it's more transparent um, in a lot of cases than some other options to with founders. Um, so yeah, it's not all always the case, but like. Typically, um, those are the kind of investments that uh, they look for, and um, yeah, typically, yeah, those are the kind.
1: So this this feeds into something that uh, Harris and I have talked a bunch on this show about, and that's the idea. Uh, I think I got the the phrase from Steve Case, the idea of the rise of the rest, as he calls it. Um, and this is, and and even today, we're seeing. I just heard on the news this morning that people are leaving San Francisco, um, e- even like these big firms, these big. Um, your a lot of your 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 companies, your startups, they're just leaving San Francisco. The Bay Area is like we can't afford to live here. And I think with you know even as the pandemic shows us, um, you know you're able to start up a, an entire company basically fully remotely, right? A lot of this can be done virtually. You can meet with people virtually. We've got the tools. Um, thank goodness for the internet. We can do these types of things. And so I, I think you're I think you're right. I think what we're gonna start seeing is more and more of these um, VC firms like you're talking about. Where it's not just going for the unicorns any longer. And I, I personally believe that it's, we're going to see, um, more startups coming out of like, just, you know, um, middle, middle of, of America. Um, right. You said there's, there's like a growing scene in Atlanta. Um, when I left DC, there was a small budding startup scene and and DC was not a very big startup place to begin with. Um, So I think we're going to see more and more of that. And people just like, I can make a one person business. There's the solopreneur or or the two or three person firm. And it's like, I don't feel the need to go for this, you know, unicorn shot. Um, And I hope, and it seems like VC firms are following suit with that and able to help people out. Is that kind of your experience? Like you're seeing more and more of these smaller shops that are just going, you know what? Three person company, we're good. We serve this niche. We're not going to be a unicorn because that's a gamble we don't want to take.
2: Yeah. there's definitely a lot of like alternatives to VC popping up um, just yeah, to kind of serve like needs across the spectrum, just because, um, yeah, a lot of times that gap is just so large and there's so many different kinds of businesses. I love the analogy of like zebras and I think people mentioned like zebra businesses and like horse businesses and maybe even like donkey businesses is just like other really great businesses that aren't unicorns and are also like real. Um, so uh, I, I definitely think we'll see some more uh, alternatives there. There's another organization I'm also involved with called NoCap, and their whole model is investment for human capital resources. Um, so they will partner with really, really, really early stage founders um, and then like, assemble a team of like, designers, branding strategists, engineers, product folk to help them bring their idea for li- to life in exchange for equity in their business. I think, yeah, even models like that, where, um, you know, people are providing equity in different terms, um, but giving folks the resources they need to, to grow and, and and scale their business. Um, and another thing that you mentioned that I am just so super, super excited about is I think, like this, yeah, the rise of almost like the solopreneur, I think we'll see more of in this decade, enabled by some of these tools that just enable you to do so much more, um, with your time, like the automation tools, um, as a one person business. And I think we're already seeing like, you know, with creators, even like newsletters that are generating like 40 K a month, um, like very, very small teams still able to generate sizable revenues for themselves and their business.
1: Yeah. I mean, and then I, I think it's funny you're talking about like, like these, these, you know, not venture capitalists, but, um, other companies that are providing services. Like this is what I was talking to Harris about. And, and for like, you know, uh, like they provide engineers and designers, which is great if you're like the business person with this idea and you need that kind of help. Um, I think a lot of our audience is like the flip side, right? They're the engineers that like, I want to make this thing, but I don't know how to market it. I don't have, you know, law help. I don't have accounting help. So it's like, I'd love, I'm sure there's something out there. That's like the flip side of that business where it's like, I can call them up and be like, yo, you can have a piece of my business. Just Help me with the like accounting and legal stuff. Um, so I, I am excited to see more and more of those of those types of firms out there and helping people um, for that solopreneur and the very small companies that are happy to have their niche. Um, and like you said, like like one person you know or or a small team can pull in a good amount of money. You know if they serve their niche very well, it's like there's no there's no uh, impetus to scale. Um, and I think that's important. If you if you serve your community, your your clients um and the need very very well i i think there is money to be made there and I, I think you can make a good living um doing that um you know maybe maybe you don't grow into a um you know a billionaire by holding stock of something that's you know some crazy business but like hey you know people can make hundreds of thousands of dollars being a solopreneur and there's nothing wrong with that it's a good living
2: oh yeah absolutely absolutely yeah, it's really really cool to see, and even on like the revenue share, like I think there's some interesting like income share and revenue share um, mm-hmm. type agreements that are coming on. I don't remember the website, but I ran into this one company that they invest like I think it's like 50k in people, so they can like quit their job and then uh, they'll take like I don't know a portion of whatever they make through whatever they create for like the next um, few years. So. Yeah, just, like, different ways to support people as they, like, go into entrepreneurship, go into building things, start companies, things like that.
1: Yeah. So I want to jump back real fast. Um, something you mentioned earlier that that I, I've heard time and time again. Um, and this this is the idea that uh, you get, got your first clients by going to meetings. And I... I still think, you know, I I see a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people and they have great ideas and it's like, well, how do I market this? And if it's a device, if it's a physical thing that they have to manufacture and sell, that is a little bit trickier of a problem, right? You got to get manufacturers, you got to do all these things. Um, But going back to some previous interviews, a lot of people sell to their early friends, even if it's a physical device. Um, So I, I think you made a good point in underscoring this idea that like making connections especially if you plan to sell something is so important because people, people want to want to support you, you, the person. Um, And so I think that's an important skill that's often, often overlooked. Like what, what drew you to those meetups in the first
0: place?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, um, that's such a great, great uh, point. And definitely I want to underscore like making connections, especially like community building community. I think people um, this, I feel like there's a, another like kind of like movement of just like, creating products in public and co-creating, um, with your, your users through like community building. But yeah, for me, like, um, mostly, mostly interests, just following my, my interests and, um, for even before kind of going full-time on, on, Lunch Pill Labs, I'd been involved in the Atlanta startup scene. I spent some time, um, working with, uh, or yeah, working with uh, an accelerator, um, program and, um, helping them run and like support their founders. So I was pretty familiar with like the things that were going on in Atlanta. And yeah, I think uh, you definitely uh, don't us like, I feel, yeah, like it should not be underestimated, like the impact of just like being around people um, who like, um, yeah, are kind of like your core, either like target audience and just, talking to them and building connections and like meeting folks. Um, yeah, I think that's been like the, the biggest lead gen for uh, LunchPail Labs so far.
1: Yeah. And those, those early, early customers, because a lot of times it's like, how, how do you become a trusted brand that people are now reaching out? Cause like, oh, you've got these companies under your belt. You're successful. It's like, well, how do you get those under your belt to begin with? And yeah, making those, making those connections and that personal connection is such a huge thing that I think is often overlooked. Um, I know I still suffer from the like, oh, if I just build this device, people will want it. Well, it's like, that's not quite how it works. Um, and like, that's, that's, you know, like where marketing comes in, but also just, those early connections, um, you know, the, 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 people skills is so important.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Early connections. And I'll also add to like, for anybody who has like an early business or an early brand. Um, like I think even there's a lot to be said about like, you know, kind of like, um, b 2 b to c approaches, um, that can really shortcut, um, some of like your growth there. So like in LunchPail Labs, for example, um, really early on, you know, we went to like First early customers were kind of like people in my network, people Mm -hmm. who were, um, you know, kind of also like entrepreneurs, Um, but then um, started doing things with like other incubators and like other like, you know, organizations. And I think even if it's just like a partnership where we might have like kind of like mutual customers, um, like especially for new companies, like just having that partnership or like, you know, being able to, Oh, like I saw this lady on this workshop, I think can really, really help with the the brand building and the trust there.
1: So when you say, when you say go to, um, like, like, Oh, I'm going to go help out at this accelerator, you know, workshop that they're having or a hackathon that they're having. And then like, like your secondary goal is I'm going to meet people there who might be my customers. <laughs>
2: Yeah, exactly, okay, exactly. Okay. So yeah, like doing workshops. Um, yeah, like we've done like workshops with kind of, yeah, like incubator labs talking about no code. And then some people who like go to those workshops have ended up being customers.
1: Okay, I mean, yeah, I, I do the same thing. I'm like saying like, I'm not implying there's anything wrong with that because that is like <laughs> yeah. like- You know, basic marketing, like put yourself out there, go to these events and it's not like, oh, I'm hawking my wares. It's like, oh, I'll go to go to events and either chat with people or try to get in to give a talk or whatever, just to get my name out there or help organize whatever that might be. Um, And then it's like, oh, you start meeting these people who are like, oh, He's running this interesting thing where he's doing, you know, content creation. Well, maybe he can help us out. Right. And then, you know, I've got business cards. You know, I got a stack of business cards by the time I leave. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, and there's multiple ways to think about it. So, like, I always think um Conferences, right? Because that's a lot of times. That's like I I work with companies that are trying to do content creation, so I think go to conferences where these companies will be at. But like you said, you work with a lot of you know small companies and startups. It's like, well, where are they going to be? They're going to be at these accelerator programs. So let's go there, right? Like that's your marketing outreach um, or Mm -hmm. a piece of it. Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely, yeah. That's a that's such a good point.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good way to think about it. Like not just go to conferences, but also like really think about where your customers are going to be, where do they hang out? And I always say that for like online stuff, but you know, I think physical space, I got my first customers through, uh, conferences. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I I think that's a great point of like that, that interaction is very important, especially if you're doing services, Mm -hmm. like not just a product, but also you're doing services for, um, companies and other people. So yeah, thank you. That's, that's, that's a good one.
2: Definitely.
0: I'm curious, just looking ahead, you know, you had these sort of product ideas before you started Lunch Pill Labs, and you've built out this service offering. Do you ever see yourself getting back into building a product of your own, and either through Lunch Pill Labs or maybe on the side? Because I feel like you're just like supercharging this skill set of building MVPs and understanding what customers want, and I just. Could imagine you applying that to solving problems yourself in some other product ways. Not that that's better or worse than services, but I'm curious is that like an itch you still have, or are you really enjoying the service side and see doing that sort of indefinitely moving forward? I'm curious what you think about that.
2: Yeah, um, uh, also a great question. I think, yeah, right now I'm really just enjoying like getting like. Repson, I feel like I've been able to sort of experience products in a lot of different contexts and um, a lot of different verticals. So that's just kind of been interesting to, to understand, but I feel like at heart, definitely a builder. So um, yeah, I, I like tinker on small things, but absolutely. I think like the, the future plans would be at some point um, going back to more of the, the product focused business, but um, right now really enjoying kind of the, the service side.
0: So if someone's listened to this and obviously they're like, Lola sounds amazing. How do they find you online? How do they find LunchPail Labs? What's the best way for them to ask you for help building their thing?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, so you can, um, so online, I am Lola Ojabawale on LinkedIn, um, Ojabawala, Lola, <laughs> kind of like backwards on Twitter. Um, and then my website is www.lunchpalelabs.com. Um, you can reach out there. There's like an intake form and we usually respond within um, 24 hours. Um, or you can feel free to like, if you find me on Twitter, DM me on Twitter, send me a message on LinkedIn, pretty active on those platforms as well.
1: We'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes so people can find you.
2: Nice. Awesome.
1: This has been awesome. Thank you for joining us, Lola. I, I learned a lot, especially like good to know that Atlanta has a great um, uh, startup scene.
2: Oh yeah, we're definitely, feel like it's definitely growing. So it's been exciting to see the growth so far.
1: Yeah, thank you yeah. for being on the show.
2: Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great conversation.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Harris and I want to try running a new segment at the end of each episode where we play some clip sent to us by a listener. If you'd like to be included, please create an audio recording of one minute or less telling us who you are, what you're building or selling, and where people can reach you, whether it's on social media or a website. Send this audio clip to info at helloblinkshow.com. We'll select one to play in each episode starting in 2021.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at helloblinkshow. Find show notes at helloblinkshow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC by 4.0 license by Skalriza, LLC and Kenny Consulting Group, LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at soundcloud.com slash aminemaxwell slash routine.